0: It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying differently. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. It's your host here, Edward Ford from Advance B2B, and what an episode we have in store for you today. But... Before we jump into that, we have a lot of listeners here in Finland and across the Nordics and Baltics. And I want to let you know, Sastock is coming on tour to Helsinki on Wednesday, the 23rd of May. There are some great speakers lined up, including David Cancel, the CEO of Drift, Marta Sjögren, partner at North Zone, and Steli Efti from Close.io, among many others. I'll also be speaking, as will our guest today, Patrick Campbell, co-founder and CEO of ProfitWell. And We're giving our listeners 20% off your Sastock Helsinki ticket using the promo code ADVANCEB2B-20. So go to sastoc.com slash on tour and you can find the Helsinki event there and use the code ADVANCEB2B-20 to get 20% off. And we also have the links and the promo code in the show notes. So go check it out and go get your ticket. It's going to be an awesome day. Now back to today's episode. And Patrick is the master of pricing. And today we cover a ton of valuable stuff, including how to apply a value-based pricing framework to your SaaS business, the benefits and limitations of pricing tactics such as relativity and anchoring, the impact of localizing your pricing for different regions and currencies, how to align pricing with your customers and to quantify your buyer personas. So listen up marketers. Patrick also talks about what the best marketers are doing to help the fight against churn, And we also hear how ProfitWell built their own pricing model using the hub and spoke framework alongside how Patrick and the team approach their own marketing using something called bottom top of the funnel content. As ever, stay tuned to the end of the episode where Patrick takes on our Fast Five challenge as he shares his best piece of advice for fellow SaaS growth leaders. So here is episode 19 of the Growth Hub podcast by Advanced B2B with Patrick Campbell, co-founder and CEO of ProfitWell. Well, Patrick, welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. And uh, I want to start with some marketing 101 stuff. And this is the four P's of marketing. So just to remind everyone, it's been a while since I, I studied these back in the college days, but of course <laughs> we have product, place, promotion, and finally price, which is very much your domain. So in SaaS, you are the pricing guy. So I'd love to know why pricing? How did you get into it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, my background is in econometrics and math. And uh, so I did econ modeling for a few really big organizations. Uh, One was the US intelligence community and the other was uh, Google. And what was fascinating is uh, econ models, for those of you who don't know, I mean, it's really, it's really about, kind of maximizing minimizing or uncovering some sort of trend or value and I ended up working at a startup in Boston and uh, I wasn't there to do econ modeling or be a pricing person I was there to kind of be a you know strategic initiatives type person to kind of do everything and anything that that needed to get done and one thing that was given to me was pricing and it was a customizable jewelry startup. So they had raised, you know, I think it was 30, 40 million dollars and they were taking on Blue Nile, which some, uh, you know, some you know, listeners probably have heard of. And basically they had you know, 1.6 or 1.7 million different SKUs at any one time on their website. And so I was kind of tasked with figuring out how to do a value based pricing model. And I didn't know anything um, about pricing at that point, but I started applying some of the learnings that I had had in the back um, of my career and all of a sudden started seeing either these really, really big swings in revenue, either up or down when we would make changes, very, very small changes. And so that's when I started realizing like, wow, there's, you know, this is huge impact that can be made by focusing on your pricing and, uh, we don't even know what we're doing because they gave it to some random you know I wasn't an entry-level employee but it definitely wasn't a a manager or an exec and so it was just kind of you know one of those things where i was like wow this something is really really important but we don't know anything about it and we're not taking it seriously so there's, there's probably an opportunity there and uh that's obviously a little bit more uh you know, a little bit more concise than probably actually happened, but it was, that was basically the trend. That was basically the trend that led me to um, jumping out from that company and starting Price Intelligently.
0: Yeah. Did you mention there that you used to work for the US government? Was that the NSA?
1: Uh i yeah I did work for the u s intelligence community um and so it was yeah that was probably I was thinking about this actually a couple of days ago uh, that job and you know staying away from the political bits of it, which are you know very important conversations to have, but that job probably was the best thing uh for for my career because I think that I learned so much more about uh just being an analyst and being uh you know analytical and logical and uh you know simply thinking through a problem properly than than I think I ever received in four years of university or you know my other jobs, and so yeah, I was working, but it was a huge bureaucracy, you know being the u s government and so that was that was why I ended up leaving just because it was it was too much the, the amount of levels of managers and things like that that you had to go through was a little much for me,
0: yeah, I could imagine there was quite a bit of bureaucracy involved, but like you said, I bet it's a really cool experience and uh yeah great great that you learned so much there, but uh I want to talk about strategy and frameworks of pricing now. So when it comes to developing your pricing strategy, what frameworks can SaaS companies use to make sure that they arrive at the right pricing model and, you know, ensure that they're not leaving any money on the table?
1: sure I think, I think the best framework to use and this is one that we talk most about so so there's there's three types of pricing there's there's cost plus pricing there's competitive based pricing and there's what's called value based pricing cost plus and competitive are kind of self-explanatory cost plus means you essentially you know look at your costs and then slap an arbitrary margin on top of it competitive based pricing is basically looking at your competitors and and both of those pricings are pretty inefficient because your, your customers don't care about your costs they care about their about their costs and then your competitors you're kind of assuming that they've done their homework and that you're in a space where you're selling the same product or at least to the same customer and more often than not especially in SaaS, because there just isn't there isn't as much density as we think there is uh there's definitely density in like content and things like that, but it's it's one of those things where there's not as much competition as you think. And so what we recommend to people is to focus on value-based pricing. And, and value-based pricing, what it means is essentially understanding your customer, your target customer on a deep level and then pricing accordingly on their wants, needs, wishes, problems, etc. And the framework that we use to kind of you know go down on that model is is really the buyer persona framework. And so You know hubspot marketo they've talked about buyer personas for a decade at this point but what it really comes down to is making sure that you collect data from who you think your target customer is both on a qualitative and a quantitative basis take that data in synthesize it filter it and then essentially figure out okay i'm going to target this type of customer between this size and this size and this is the price, and this is the packaging for that customer. And then I'm also going to target this customer with these traits that I, I need to put, put, a, put together a package for as well. And so, that's kind of the model is is that buyer persona framework that we typically recommend because it not only helps with your pricing, but it also helps center your entire SaaS business or subscription business. And I would argue even non-subscription businesses. But what's beautiful about it is it starts to kind of get to the beauty of SaaS, which is to clone your customers, mainly because you're, you know, you're bringing in those customers that you want to have on a recurring basis. And, and so this type of data helps your product team, your marketing team, your sales team, et cetera. Um, and I'm happy to obviously go deeper. It's a little bit hard without showing visuals, but it's one of those things where I can definitely explain this the best I can.
0: Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> if we explore now the, the relationship between pricing and conversion rates, which is of course super important for marketers and growth teams and maybe geek out on some economic theories of pricing, such as Still. relativity, which, you know, the economist is famous for. And then you have anchoring where one plan that no one really buys is considerably more expensive to make the other plans look more attractive. So how effective are pricing strategies like these, as a way to drive conversion rates?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the the thing is, is that those types of things like relatively anchoring, those are typically, uh, they're more tactics than they are the framework, if that makes sense. And this might be like arguing semantics on the margin, but the reason I say that is because when I talk to a lot of people, and and they're like, Oh, well, like, well, this is the best pricing advice. And and they'll say something like anchoring, which they're like, Oh, you just need to have like a really, really expensive plan. And then that, that's your pricing prop, your plan. And, and the problem with that is that it, 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 it kind of reduces your pricing to, to a tactic, which in reality it, it should be like a continual part of your, your process because your price is the exchange rate on the value that you're creating. And because of that, You want to make sure you're measuring that exchange rate as much as you can and and adjusting it as you get better, as your product improves. Um, That soapbox statement aside, (laughs) the things like anchoring are actually pretty effective. So for instance, um, once you've kind of figured out your you know, your core pricing, your core buyer persona, then you can start using some of these tactics. And in anchoring, uh, just to give you an example, I, we're actually, we just launched this kind of series, it's called Pricing Page Teardown. And what's really fascinating is is we were looking at a company in particular, and basically we we pulled some data, and, and these are companies that we don't work with. and was funny is that when we showed pricing that was $40 and $60 next to each other, most people chose the $40 plan. And when we put $50 and $60 next to each other, most people picked the $60 plan. And so what's fascinating is that those types of situations with your pricing can actually really, really help your conversion, as you're kind of alluding to, and it's not going to maybe increase or decrease your overall conversion rate, but it's going to change the proportion of what's happening with your pricing, which is really, really cool.
0: Yeah. Are there any signs that can tell you that, okay, now you've arrived at the correct pricing level? Are there any ways people running SaaS companies can can kind of gauge that?
1: Yeah, there's, there's not one sign. I wish there was because uh, <laughs> it's a little bit dependent on each business. Uh, I think that the what 's kind of cool is that if if you measure something you know as, as straightforward as price elasticity, so if you just measure uh, you can do this via survey, you can do this via a bunch of different ways, but if you measure kind of your price elasticity, you can kind of see what is called your pricing power, and pricing power is simply the amount of kind of flexibility you have to increase or decrease your prices and when you measure that, it, you can kind of see and, and without kind of going into too much detail because it's an image, you can kind of see how wide or narrow a curve is for price elasticity. And if it's you know, very wide, then you have the ability to kind of increase your prices. And so what this means to answer your question is that if you start to see kind of your price friction go up mildly that's when you have a good indication that it's you're you're in a really good zone for the current product and its current customer and what i to kind of make that a little bit more quantifiable if you're not hearing any complaining about your pricing your price too low if you start hearing like a little bit of complaining about it like oh, i'm gonna have to think about this but your sales kind of process in your time to sale is still about the same then that's kind of like a good indication that you're you're hitting the right stride. But I'm really nervous saying that because it's so qualitative that what's gonna end up happening is there's gonna be some sales manager out there who's like, well, our pricing's fine. I, I have to answer pricing questions all day. Therefore, we shouldn't change our pricing. And, and more often than not,
0: it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, and one thing I, I really want to ask, and that's what impact does localization of pricing have on growth? And what advice would you give to SaaS companies about altering pricing for specific countries and regions and then also offering pricing in local currencies for example
1: yeah localization is is probably the the one thing that's easy for everyone to wrap their heads around because you know when you get into quantifying your buyer personas and all this other stuff it's a little bit intense if you haven't done it before but Localization is something that you know it's 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 pretty easy to understand. And, and basically localization or internationalization, for those of you who might not know who are listening, is making sure that your currency symbols for your main markets are are showing to the customers in that market. So if you have a US visitor, it should be a dollar sign. If you have a Euro visitor, it should be a euro. If you should if you have a you know British visitor, it should be a pound sterling, et cetera. And the, on top of that, then, it also means sometimes making the actual market-based price in each of those regions correct. So in the US, there's probably a little bit of a lower willingness to pay because there's a lot more density of software. In the UK, there's a higher willingness to pay. And in you know Western Europe, there's a higher willingness to pay. In Northern Europe, but then in Eastern Europe, it goes back to to being a little bit less willing to pay. And when you have that phenomenon, what you should make sure you do, and this is like a good early pricing project, is... One, just kind of fix the cosmetic piece and you can do that relatively easily with a bunch of tools that are out there. But then, you know, if you have even 10% or more of your customers coming from a region, make sure that you're actually doing market-based localization because you're typically gonna see, and it depends on how much you do, between kind of 11 to 30% bump, uh, essentially just from, from that activity because you're, you're making sure you're, you're kind of going to each market or each economy essentially with the right product.
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned in there that the buyer persona side of pricing can be quite complex. And I think many people, like you said, are quite familiar with the concept of buyer personas. And I think typically marketers might approach that more from a inbound marketing and a particularly content marketing perspective, but are there any differences from a pricing perspective in terms of how you actually do that buyer persona research and you know, how, how do you actually align pricing with the buyer personas?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the way that I would answer that initially is that any buyer persona that's devoid of any data collection, meaning kind of the fluffy, like, let's all get into a room and talk about who our buyer is and give them cute names, like, any anything that's devoid of data, they're just shit. Like, they're, they're I mean, they're not, shit. they're not terrible. I'm sorry, I'm not sure if I'm able to curse, but um, yeah, you can, it's fine. They're not, they're, they're not terrible. They're just, they're just not great. I think what ends up happening is, um, you know, they're they're very uh echo chambery and they're done in a vacuum so that, you know, so and so, you know, is using their, you know, bias to say that, you know, hey, the buyers are at anyone with blue hair. And it's like, wait a minute, what? Like, why is hair important? Well, I kept seeing, you know, consistently that come in and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense, right? That's I mean it's not that dramatic, but it's it's typically what ends up <laughs> happening with buyer personas is becomes this like crazy, like like almost politic conversation. And so the biggest thing with buyer personas, honestly, is just making sure you're collecting data on a quantitative basis. So we have a couple of tools that we teach and that are baked into our software, like relative preference and price elasticity, but you can use anything and everything in order to kind of quantitatively understand your buyers. And so what I'd encourage a lot of people to do is literally next week or this week or whenever this is, is getting posted, then the next week, Take and do a small survey, two questions of your buyers around something that's been nagging you and just start kind of coding the answers or breaking down the answers or calculating things from the answers, because that's going to start moving you towards a place where your buyers can start to be a kind of like a constitution where basically any arguments... Uh, That you're trying to figure out with those buyers are basically settled with with the data or with the information that you're collecting, and so that's that's what I would encourage people to do with buyer personas is just go one step deeper and and make them quantifiable.
0: Yeah, yeah, love it. Now, over eight thousand SaaS companies, I believe, use ProfitWell, so you have access to more SaaS data than most companies, and of course, especially when it comes to pricing. So, could you tell us about the latest SaaS growth trends and? Share which of them the best performing SaaS companies are using.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, with ProfitWell and ProfitWell, it's a free subscription financial metrics. It plugs right into your billing system. Um, for those who aren't aren't familiar, and what we're basically able to see is 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 kind of what's working, what's not in the market, which is you know really really cool. And I think that. The, the biggest thing that we're finding, um, and it's, there, well there's a lot of findings, so now that I think about it, so it's like hard to break them down. but I think <clears throat> excuse me, the, the biggest things that we're finding is that the people who are doing their customer research are typically growing at two to three times the rate than those people who aren't doing their customer research. And this should feel pretty intuitive because, you know, someone who knows their customer and knows like how to get them, where to get them, how to convert them and all that kind of fun stuff obviously are going to have better growth. But I think it's it's one of those biggest things where, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it can't be that simple. And it's like, no, it's that simple. Just talk to your customers uh, and you're going to find out what works and, and what doesn't. and. I think the other thing is uh, we are so addicted to acquisition based growth that we, we've we forgotten and we've misunderstood where growth actually comes from. And what I mean by that is if we go and ask a hundred subscription or, or SaaS founders right now, hey, what's your, you know, what's your number, you know, number one thing that you care about? Most of them are going to say acquisition. In fact, seven out of 10 of them are going to say, you know, acquisition. and. The problem is is that acquisition is definitely important but we forget that growth or this whole concept of growth is you know acquisition is just one piece of the puzzle and those you know growth folks or those companies that are focused not only on acquisition but also things like monetization and especially retention those folks who have this balanced growth are growing at about 2x the rate as those who are are basically you know just focusing on acquisition and and the reason for this and we've seen this in the data as well is that acquisition based growth is, is basically getting to the point where it's it's not quite dollar in, dollar out, but it's definitely something where it's very inefficient because there's so much density happening in the market right now. A lot of growth channels are starting to dry up or at least get, you know, not as not as great as they once were. And and all of a sudden it's it's like everything's easy for us as consumers to switch, right? It's no longer like you have to, you know, get get you know, tied to a product for two years that you just hate because you accidentally signed the contract. Now it's like, oh, I don't like this, I'm going to switch. And it's so easy to sign up for other software. So I would say that, you know, the, those are the biggest things. Uh, and I mean, more tactically, I think, you know, folks who are doing well with retention and things like that, they're optimizing their annuals, they're optimizing their delinquent churn, and uh, they're even, you know, slowing their growth a little bit. Uh, meaning, you know, faster growth is is sometimes not always always a good thing, especially for your retention.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned there that churn is is super important. And of course, retention, monetization, and traditionally this is sitting within the realm of product growth, customer success teams, but of course we're quite marketing driven here. So what are the best marketers doing to help the fight against churn?
1: It's just, you know, what it's, what's funny about it is it's not, it's not that as as complicated as is their job already i think i think it's 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 just people don't have a really good and this is really why we started building profit well is that people don't have a good concept of their metrics from ltv to cac by channel So basically what's happening is you have $100 million companies where you ask them, hey, what's the retention of your Facebook customers versus your retention of your AdWords customers or the people who came in through those channels? And they can't answer the question. They can't even half answer the question. And so what's really fascinating is if you're a company, basically making sure that you are essentially looking at not only the conversion data, but also kind of what the retention data looks like. And it's, it's fascinating once you start looking at that, you start to realize, oh wow, it's, it's pure vanity that I'm really excited about those hundred customers who came in through that channel. It's it's one of those things where in reality those those customers are terrible, you know they're, they're the worst, and so, you know why why should we be excited about them? But what ends up happening is is the growth people on the front end or acquisition end they go, oh well my job's done they converted great and then customer success takes over and is like shoot now i have to do this and they're terrible customers and i have to try to save them and i think we just make customer success their their job too hard essentially but yeah i think it's it really just comes down to understanding the full funnel uh because the thing is is that the the world of subscriptions it's it's all about relationships and i think what we don't realize is that this is the first time in the history of the world where we have a business model where the actual revenue model is baked right into the relationship with the customer. And so what that means is there's a lot of implications for that, but there's, there's also the implication that you know, it's, it's, it's a through look at the customer. It's not like a one and done purchase. You have to make sure you're consistently tracking data from end to end to make sure that you know, you're doing your job right and you're nurturing that relationship and even starting that relationship properly.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I would love if you could actually talk us through your own pricing strategy at ProfitWell and you know, how, how did you guys actually build your own pricing model?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we we have a couple of products and, and I'll, I'll explain the end and then explain how we got there. So the end is basically we have what's called a hub and spoke model. And so what this means is that we have a a hub, which is a free product, and that's profitable metrics. So you can you know, get accurate metrics once you plug in your billing system. And we have engagement data now and we have channel data. We've all this like basically end to end subscription metrics for free, which is great. And then what we do is we excuse me we basically sell products that you know help you make more money and the the idea is is that you can see a problem or an opportunity inside your profit account and get value for it the metric side and then all of a sudden when you want to upsell or when you see a problem with a number we can that we can help you with you'll you'll basically have a product for it so those products we have price intelligently which helps with pricing we have retain which helps with your churn and then we have a, a revenue recognition product that helps with your accounting and so what ends up happening to kind of you know explain how we got there with the pricing model is basically we had price intelligently as our first product about 6 years ago and that pricing was essentially more enterprise based pricing where you know we did our homework we talked to our customers we figured out kind of the the main metric that we were going to separate our pricing on and and basically just kind of built the pricing model from there but when we launched profitwell we were you know essentially not sure how to price it we were going to try to sell it as like an actual paid product but the the biggest finding that we found when we started doing our research was that no one likes paying for business intelligence products, Um, you know, analytics products. It's probably the worst market to be in. Uh, If anyone on, you know, listening to this is in the analytics world, like I'm sorry, I feel your pain, but it's just one of those things where we started doing our research and most retention curves for analytics companies are very, very low and and most willingness to pay is, is nowhere near the actual value that people are getting. And it's because folks aren't logging in every day. It's not something that's in their workflow. It's something that helps them, but doesn't actually solve the problem. And so we we thankfully found this and it wasn't like, you know, we just knew this. We did a bunch of research and I talk about this a lot and we can go deeper into it if we want, but we basically found that, you know, we should either shut the product down or should give it away for free. And our whole kind of psyche was around, you know, there, there hasn't been someone who did verticalized metrics at the time and now there's just dozens of them. And so the idea was, you know, we, we can be the best and basically commoditize down the market and then, you know, make sure that we're, you know, basically building this base that we can then convert into, you know, folks paying for our paid products. And so that's kind of the, the rambly version of it. But now we have a framework where, you know, we will only build products that we can actually point to the dollars or point to the number that we've reduced or increased, depending on what it is. And uh, it seems to be working out really, really well because people appreciate that it's not, you know, it's not something where they're just like, ah, I can kind of see where you helped. It's more like, nope, you exactly helped this much. And and then we can price accordingly on that.
0: Yeah. You mentioned there that your first product was priced intelligently. And of course, now profit well what how does the the branding structure work is are you leaning more on profit well now or are you focusing more on price intelligently or is one the sort of uh mother company of the other how, how does that work
1: yeah it's terrible right now to be honest <laughs> so it's it's like it's not uh so we're we're redoing everything right now and i've been saying this for a few months and so it's starting to become like i feel like i'm lying but uh we are we really are um redoing everything so the new pricing website should go out this week um or the, the week that we're recording this and then we're, we're redoing the profitable side but the, the the short answer the direct answer i should say is that uh we, so everything's going to be well. So we'll still have Price Intelligently, but it'll be Price Intelligently by Well. And so ProfitWell is going to be like the main brand. It's a little bit more... Um it's a little bit kind of uh all inclusive whereas price intelligently it's very pricing based and so yeah that's kind of what our focus is going to be and and we're still trying to figure out what the tagline is cuz really what we're about is for smarter subscription growth but unfortunately every company under the sun has that as their tagline so i need to we need to figure out a little bit more, <laughs> more of a clever way to explain what we actually do
0: okay cool and actually by the time this episode airs then you should have updated your, your pages. So everyone go and check it out already. It should be updated. Well, so there's some pressure. There's, now. Yeah, I exactly. Don't now we'll you see. Have, I
1: don't know. we'll, we'll see. I'll tell the design team that I told them that that was about going to happen and they're going to be like, damn it. What are you doing?
0: Yeah, exactly. You really stitched them up. But, uh, you, now I know you guys are, are fully bootstrapped and you're a small team. So what was your strategy when it came to actually marketing and growing the price intelligently and profit well businesses without a dedicated marketing team?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we're, yeah, we're growing pretty quickly, which is great. And I think um, part of me thinks that the only way to build this business was bootstrapped because I think with, with money, we would have made a lot of um, mistakes very quickly, but a lot of mistakes that were, you know, taking up, you know, ironically too much time, even though they were quicker. And so, yeah, we're about a team of of about 45 in Boston. And I think that uh, we haven't had marketing at all yet. We just started doing marketing a couple of months ago. Uh, we've always had a blog and content, but it wasn't something that uh, we we necessarily focus as much time on or had any full time, you know, people on. And so that's kind of where, where my focus is right now is building out the team. We actually have our first uh, you know senior growth manager starting today as of recording this podcast. And so we're, I'm pretty excited about this. But yeah, I think it's 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 one of those things where I, I think. To to give a little kind of you know advice on this is that I think that um, I don't think pr- having a good product is is good enough, but starting to build a community and starting to build you know some word of mouth I think is really really important, and it's also really important to kind of play to your strengths. We knew that we were really good at writing like dense, rich content. We knew that we weren't good at kind of creating viral things that you know, didn't, uh, you know, didn't really, you know, talk about the product, but went really far. And so I think we just kind of played with our strengths with the limited resources that we had. And now that, you know, we've had, you know, some good resources, you know, as we continue to grow, that's, that's kind of where we're investing. And I think that's another thing to kind of keep in mind is that a lot of people are very kind of, um, I don't know if "pretentious" is the right word. There's 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 a more negative and vulgar way I could describe this, but I'll use the word "pretentious." Um, a lot of people are really pretentious about, you know, kind of you know services revenue or other types of revenue. And in our Price Intelligence product, it's it's a tech-enabled service where, you know, the margins are really really good, but it's still not like pure software where. You know it's working when someone's going to bed or something like that so i think that but that's really helped us because we essentially built a really good business there and then had the discipline to say hey we're going to reinvest all of that profit into you know building profit well and building software and more software and more products and more you know stuff that it allowed us to basically you know have our own vc arm because Essentially, you know, all of, no one, you know, no one's taking any money off the table. No one's, you know, getting any profit distributions, and so all of that money every year is just being reinvested into engineering, product, et cetera, and so it actually helps us compound. And so I'm not sure if that's you know, easy for everyone to do, but basically, you know, it, it was terrible in the beginning and, and now it's, you know, kind of grown into something where, you know, we have a lot more optionality and that's what's helped us basically spin up a marketing team very, very quickly because, you know, we can go, hey, this is where we need to go next and say, all right, this budget's going there and, and kind of rock from there.
0: Yeah, and you talked about content earlier and I know you've produced some fantastic content. I've read some great blogs that your team have put together and some great videos as well. And you've also talked about the concept of bottom top of the funnel content before. So I would love to ask like, what, what actually is that and how did you actually create bottom top of the funnel content?
1: Yeah, that's great. That's, that's a great question. And I don't, I don't know if I'm the first person that came up with that, but I think, um that's, that's kind of how we started describing what we do. And in other, you know, again, marketing semantics at this point, someone might say, oh, that's middle of the funnel content. And we're like, oh, okay. But but what we what we thought about was kind of, if you think about the top of the funnel, and, and to me, the, the top of the funnel means like zero to lead. So basically someone visiting, and then when they become a lead, that's when they kind of hit the middle of the funnel. And so our focus, whatever you want to call it, has been, if we look at the top of the funnel. There's, there's different things that we could do, right? So we could write a blog post about discounting strategies and uh, how it affects your growth, right? The thing is, is that that's, that's not like a sexy piece of content. It's definitely a piece of content that people will want to read and that they want to think about and they'll actually get a lot of enjoyment or a lot of value out of, but it's not like some of the more top of the top of the funnel content which is, hey, here's a podcast where we recorded with this founder and you should listen to it, right? one of them has to do with our actual one of our core products price intelligently and the other more has to do that's just appealing to our base right and so in the early days we were doing this probably not as well thought out we were just kind of doing this um, because that's what we were doing we basically would only write those discount type pieces and only write those type of you know those types of pieces of content that we knew were people that were kind of like dog whistles in the sense that if you had a pricing problem or you had a discounting problem or you know, you you had the time to read it, you were a really good lead for us and you're probably gonna convert and, and kind of go down the funnel pretty quickly. And now we're trying to go broader and so now we're starting to do not only those bottom of the top of the funnel pieces of content, which are a little bit closer to that middle of the funnel and a little bit closer to that customer, but we're also starting to do more top of the top of the funnel. So yeah, that's just kind of the, the, the basic concept um, where, essentially, we, we, we with our limited resources, we're only focused on finding the customers that we knew were a slam dunk. And I don't think a lot of people do that in their businesses and they should. And then as resources are expanding, we're now doing a lot more, you know, um, you know less, less likely of conversion, but more brandy type posts to kind of keep us moving.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see what you guys produce. And I also saw the Super Mario inspired video that you released recently, which I have to say that was very cool. So looking forward to it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: it's so we. I mean, we're we we have a pretty exciting content year. It's going to look very different. We're we're trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit, and we're we're hoping it's in a a positive way. But we're we're basically you know launching you know different series and a lot of video, a lot of audio, and then of course keeping the written word
0: going as well. Excited. Looking forward to it. And if we just take one final question before we wrap up and sure. that's about the conference. So I'd love to know about SaaS Fest, which is taking place in Boston, I believe every year. So why did you decide to to go big on a conference?
1: Yeah, here's here's the the dirty secret of that is that and it's funny that you said go big and and I want you to keep thinking that and I want everyone to keep thinking that it's it's a huge deal because then they they're not going to do it themselves. Um it's actually not as it's, it's it's it has high impact but it's less work than you would might you might think. And and don't get me wrong it is an immense amount of work but it's not um it's it's not as hard as you would think in terms of the work. And so it, that that was something that we were kind of thinking about it, and we were thinking, okay well if if we don't have a goal of making money, and our goal has always been just to break even on our, on our events, and so if we don't have a goal of making money then You know it it kind of helps with a lot of things and and we wanted to do more content and we wanted to to get out there and get bigger and 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 in terms of our brand and and this was an idea that we had that you know thank god it went well the first year or else we might have just never done it again and now um, we've done it for three years in boston we're actually um going to be coming not only to boston but also probably doing one in europe this year and um that's something that we've been doing our early research on so don't quote me quite on it but it's one of those things where it's likely to come um, and be announced in the next month if it is going to be happening um, the next month being kind of March so if, if, if it's April and you still haven't heard from me then we're probably not doing it but um, <clears throat> yeah but we're pretty excited I mean it's it's one of those things where I think that a lot of people, they think, Oh, growth tactics, you know, you, you have to take some bigger swings sometimes. And I think we took a big swing and it worked out really well. And, um, I think conferences are, are, you know, if you can control the message and make them very non-pitchy, which is something that we do with SASFest, So there's no sponsors. Uh, We don't really pitch. What's kind of sad is some people leave the conference not even knowing what we do, but that's kind of a price to pay for, um, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, we create a really, really good content, um, you know, day for people and so when you do that it actually is really really good for the brand and you get to meet a lot of speakers who then provide really good content for you so yeah i'm i'm you know if, if you can reasonably afford it and maybe start with just a meetup or a small conference our first one was like 75 people and now we cap it at 150 um, just because we want to keep it small but yeah i would i would recommend definitely jumping into that fray because it's easier than you might think
0: oh that's great and good to know that there might be sas fest europe if there is then we will definitely be there. So we'll, we'll stay tuned for that, but awesome. Love it. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So let's actually move to the closing <clears throat> questions before we wrap this up and the fast five challenge. So all I'm going to do is ask five questions and all you need to do is answer them as quickly as possible. So are you ready?
1: Oh boy. Yep. Let's do, let's it. do it. Let's
0: do it. All right. So the first one, what's the one book you would recommend others to read?
1: uh high output management andy grove uh i think that a lot of us you know younger folks we never got any experience uh managing and uh this is a really really good little mba and how to manage and and function your team properly
0: great second question a SaaS company that you love and why
1: Ooh, there's so many um trying to think of a good one um this is actually really hard because every time, every time, every time I go, oh, that one. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, but I don't like that piece of the company. Um, so uh maybe I'm being too critical. No, actually there's a really good one. I, I really like app cues. Um, I don't know if you've heard of these folks. It's A P E C U E S. Uh, I like these guys mainly because it's it's I mean, the product, we do use the product and we are customers, full disclosure, but I think um the The thing I like about the the company in particular is that Jonathan and Jackson, the founders, and uh, anyone that I've I've seen or heard from work there, they're they're very very focused on building the company the right way, and what that means is just the culture is really really good. It's you know former HubSpot folks, and so I think it's it's one of those things where everyone that I've heard who has worked there has had an amazing experience and also has just been, you know, an amazing human being that knows their stuff and, you know, isn't, you know, isn't an asshole for the lack of a better phrase. So yeah, I think I'd have to say app cues. Uh, and then there's, there's probably, there's definitely more if you wanted to get into different categories, but that's kind of my, my, my
0: favorite one right now. Great. Then third question, your favorite place to read about growth and SaaS marketing online.
1: Yeah, this is awesome. I like this question. And uh, I'm going to give a, a little bit of a clap back to what I was saying on the Seeking Wisdom podcast, which is uh, ironically Google Scholar. So, it, you know, a lot of people, we read books or we like read articles and stuff. And, and I think Google Scholar is actually a place where most of the the, the nitty gritty academic research has been done on most of the things that we're trying to research. And it's it's so much denser and richer than what we're going to find in a blog post or a book. And so oh, I typically start there if I'm trying to solve um, a new problem or trying to attack a new challenge. And then then I kind of once I find kind of the, the way to think about something or the framework to think about something, then I'll go a little bit wider. But Google Scholar is normally where I start now.
0: Yeah. And after that episode of Seeking Wisdom, I found myself on Google Scholar trying to find articles about gang loyalty on like la street guys so oh my God. i thought it was people, a cool people idea. are
1: gonna be so confused yeah yeah i know you have to go I'm back and gonna, listen to it yeah i'm gonna let them stay confused i won't explain what that meant
0: <laughs> exactly yeah perfect the fourth question so your most important growth metric
1: oh i was I, I knew this one was coming and i'm just like dreading it um i i at the end of the day i think if if you have to make me choose one i would say um, just overall growth, like that's what's most important, is that you keep growing. Um, but if if I went one step down and I wasn't as cliche, I would actually go and say uh, the number one thing is is net retention, net revenue retention, um, because it's a measure of you know your customers sticking around and baking into that licensing model of a subscription, and it's also a measure of how well you're monetizing in, in the sense that uh, you know your expansion revenue is working.
0: Great, that is a hard one, but. Uh... Final and fifth question, what would be your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS growth leaders?
1: Ooh, this is where I want to basically give like a riddle. Like I want to say something like everything is harder and easier than you think it is. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's as useful. I think, um, I think that, um, I think the best piece of advice that I can give is that, um, when you're looking at any problem, no matter what it is, it's it's really important just to have a framework to approach it uh, and not be reactionary. So um, what I mean by that, and maybe to make that a little bit more actionable is that, Every problem where you're trying to optimize something, there's there's what I like to call a choke or a limiting step. And that's something that you'll learn a little bit more about in, in that Andy Grove book that I mentioned. But basically identifying that limiting step or that 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 choke is probably the most important thing that you could do for a problem. Because once you identify that, then it's like, oh you know, we can solve that. And another way to put this is that, um, you know, problems can't be solved. You have to solve for a cause. And so you want to make sure that you discover the cause or the choke to the problem. And then once you solve for that, you know, everything's gravy. So that would be the best piece of advice is that, you know, find, find the choke or the cause of the problem and then go all in on solving that.
0: Love it. Hey, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us on the Growth Hub podcast. I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show.
1: Absolutely, thanks for thanks for the time.
0: That was Patrick Campbell sharing his advice on how to nail your pricing and make sure you don't leave any money on the table. You can follow Patrick on Twitter at paticus, and if you want to see Patrick speak at Sastock on tour Helsinki then use the promo code ADVANCEB2B-20 to get 20% off your ticket. Check out sastockcom slash on tour for more info. As ever, if you have any feedback, then you're always welcome to get in touch with me on Twitter at NordicEdward, LinkedIn, or reach out to me at edward at advanceb2b.fi. So, thank you so much for listening to the growth of Podcast by Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off. And make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are